all types of rice, right? White rice, brown rice, sushi rice. We just we just eat rice. Craig knows. Well, yeah. Question: How I've long helped. does it take you to go through a twenty-pound bag of rice? He's I got mean, we go to Costco like week, probably. probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was we thinking. Go, a week. <laughs> yeah, like I, I think like every Monday, my wife is like, "Hey, can you go get some more rice?" So, the biggest it's, bag it's of rice I've ever seen. Thing. I helped lift at the Gorez household. <laughs> Welcome into the Train with the Best podcast. I'm Craig Hoffman. Chris Gorez joins in just a moment along with our guest, Megan Featherston, is on the show this week. Megan is a dietitian, performance dietitian, in fact, and a nutritionist, and she's amazing. And I've had the chance to work with her on a project that we ultimately haven't taken live yet and are, are going to be picking back up the kind of preparation work on soon. But when I was back at US Fitness and closing out my career there, uh, we worked on a body image and eating disorder, uh, I guess, module, if you will, for continuing education. And in order for me to do that, as someone who's not in the eating disorder space, someone who's not in the nutrition space, um, I obviously needed to consult with experts. I knew it was a really important thing. And so I wanted to make sure that, one, it was something our trainers at US Fitness were super aware of uh, in order to best serve our clients and, and our members, um, as obviously that is a membership model gym at One Life Fitness and, and Sport and Health here in the D.C. area, and, and there's plenty of those around the country now at this point as well. Great company. Um, I just, as covered on a previous podcast, it was time for me to fly the coop. Um, but Megan was one of the people that I consulted. I had reached out to Momentus and Sarah Hendershot, who was there at the time, and said, hey, do we have any nutritionists that I could consult on this in the Momentus family? And she immediately connected me to Megan. Megan was incredible. Let me pick her brain, um, looked over some stuff. And we actually then started working on something that hopefully we'll ultimately be able to put out to all of you listening who are fit pros or just want to know more fitness enthusiasts who want to know more, uh, a continuing education on training and being aware of body dysmorphia and eating disorder issues because they're incredibly important. They are the most deadly form of mental illness. Um, and so it is incredibly important that we as trainers have the proper language, uh, know the proper warning signs, and, and know how to work with clients so that, one, we don't start someone down the path of an eating disorder or a body dysmorphia, uh, or two, that if, if we in, you know, encounter someone who has that, that we know how to properly talk to them and, and ultimately refer them to someone so they can get the help that they need to continue living a healthy and productive life. So um, with that background, we actually don't get into a lot of that stuff on the show today. We actually kind of go to the performance end of things and proper fueling, which of course is part of the equation here, right? We always want to make sure that we're fueled for our workouts and, and that's going to not only keep us safe, but ultimately is going to help us perform our absolute best. And Megan certainly knows something about that as well. She herself is a sub three hour marathoner and just did that in Boston. And ironically to tie up this intro and kind of come full circle, I finally got to meet Megan in person. We've been going back and forth on Zoom for over a year at this point. Um, and finally, I reached out a couple weeks ago. I was like, I think it's time. I think it's time for you to come on the podcast. She's got some awesome new projects that you can read about on her website and on her Instagram page, uh, which we'll, we'll share with you throughout the, the interview here. But uh, we actually met in Boston. I happened to be up there for a family event uh, the weekend of the Boston Marathon. And so on Saturday morning, we got together along with Sarah Hendershot, uh, who's no longer with Momentus, but still is a great, great friend 
um, and is working on a really cool new project that hopefully uh, we'll actually be able to share soon um, about. But yeah, it, it was really cool to, to finally get to meet Sarah in person after like three or four years of calls and texts and, and Zooms and, and all these things. Uh, she's been on the pod obviously multiple times before. And then turns out Megan is there at this breakfast as well. So it, it was really cool to get together with, with those two women uh, who are just incredible athletes, incredible fitness professionals, and uh, it was a really good time. And so with that introduction and background of how Megan is connected to us here at Train With The Best, there's no need for me to talk anymore. Let's do it. Here's Megan Featherston on the Train With The Best podcast. Our guest today on the Train With The Best podcast is Megan Featherston. She is a sports dietitian and a nutritionist. Uh, she's a badass runner, just ran sub three PR to the Boston Marathon. Let's go, let's go. Wow. We got to meet in person up in Boston, which was really cool. Uh, Megan, I can't believe we haven't done this. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I know. I can't believe we just have so much to chat about. We do. We do. Um, so Megan and I came together. I was working on a bunch of stuff uh, back when I was leaving One Life um, and kind of leaving U.S. Fitness. Um, my, my capstone, if you will, was a, a trainer education project around eating disorders and body image disorders. And Megan was one of the people that I consulted on this because she has some specialization in that area. Um, but she's also, I think, definitely best known for her fueling for working out and specifically for running. She's worked with so many or works with so many runners around the country um, remotely. And and I'm just curious how you got into all of this in the first place. Like when in your education, when in your own personal life story as an athlete, when did you get into wanting to know more about the fueling side of athletics? Oh, I came into this as an afterthought to very unsuccessfully fueling my first marathon. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, one of those things like we are our own best uh, experiment. Um, that's right. absolutely why I do what I do now. So it was, you know, I went through undergrad, you know, went through grad school. You've got so many things you're working on, working towards. And then when I had my first clinical nutrition job, I was feeding people through tubes, educating on heart healthy diets, like, you know, great experience, but not necessarily what I was passionate about. And I was just feeling a little bit stagnant. So I was like, I'm going to run a marathon. I'd never run a race in my life. I'd never put a bib on. I didn't even know how to do were you, that. Were like, you a casual runner? Like, were you running like 5Ks no. and stuff or just like go out and no. run a couple miles? You're just like, I'm going to start running. I think a marathon's cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly <laughs> what happened. I played, <laughs> wow. I played sports in uh, high school. I played lacrosse and field hockey and I was the runner. I was the midi, you know? So it made sense that like running would come kind of naturally to me, but yeah, no, I didn't run in college, not even for fun. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it sounded like a good idea. <laughs> That's exactly what Heather O'Reilly just did too. So she had just done the Boston Marathon. You didn't see her because you finished in under three hours. But uh, she <laughs> no had shade, hey, she oh, had no never shade. done a 5K, 10K before and then just said, yeah, I just feel like I'm going to do the Boston Marathon. Why not? Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's nuts. Well, and so I say this because as you can tell, like I was very ill-prepared in all areas to run a marathon. I didn't know about training. I grabbed a free Hal Higdon plan offline, um, tried to follow it, probably did everything wrong. I'm sure my glutes didn't fire one step of the entire training process. And then two, (laughs) nutrition and hydration. Like that should have been my expertise, but performance nutrition is such a niche. Like it's so different than anything you learn, you know, as in dietitian school, like truthfully, maybe you learn some of like the baseline concepts that you build on, but it's like a totally different ball game. 
So, so after the race, were you just like lying down in the shower thinking, oh my God, I, I should eat better for this the next time yes. I do this? So my first marathon, I ran in 358.50 something. So over an Which hour. Which is still l- impressive for like a, not still a fast, yeah. 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 And I remember there's a picture of me, actually. It's on my website because it's that funny. You have to go look at it. And it's me finishing that first marathon. I look like I'm dead. Like I yeah. look just gone. My face has like zero expression. I like look like I'm going to fall over because I think I took like one gel and like a couple sips of water and it was super hot and I'm a heavy sweater. Like I don't even know how I finished it, truthfully. <laughs> what's, what's the website uh, so people can go look at this? Featherstonenutrition.com. And I think it's under the about. Oh, it's okay. the picture. I can't. The person who made my website was like, you sure you want to put this up here? I'm like, yeah, it's phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, because look at me now. Look at me now. I, I finished in right, three right. hours, and I don't look like I'm a corpse who's crossing the finish line. Um, you mentioned that it was so performance nutrition is so different than everything you learn in dietitian school. I know like this is literally your life's expertise and specialty. So uh, one, you shouldn't give all that away for free. And two, um, this would take days, months, years to go through all the differences. But on a baseline level, when you started into the performance space, what are some of like the big, oh my God, moments of differences between the things that you had learned and the things that you were learning? So I think two that strike me that still like people have oh my god moments about is how much how many carbs you need when you're training hard. You know, I think we live in an era of carbs are bad. If I want right. to look a certain way, I restrict carbs. So, you know, from a performance standpoint, carbs are the only energy source that we can perform at our highest level, right? Like if we're trying to PR in a race, like carbs is what we want to be running off of. So it's like a totally different ball game for somebody that maybe use myself as an example, was never running, you know, and then all of a sudden your body's demanding all of this different nutrition. You you really have to scale those carbs up. And then on the hydration side, it's sodium. You know, we again, we live in an era of like sodium's bad. It'll increase your Mm -hmm. blood pressure. Don't eat processed food. There's too much salt. But then if we look at how much sodium we lose through like an hour of sweat, I mean, it can be two or 3,000 milligrams. Some of us aren't even eating that in a day and we're losing that in an hour, you know? So those are the kind of the two big things that kind of drop people's, you know, jaws is the sodium piece and the carb piece that is just completely different. And if you look at it, like from a health standpoint, if you told someone I took in 8,000 milligrams of sodium today, they'd probably be like, and you need to see your physician, right? But when you put it in the context of how much you lose, you need that in order to perform your finest. So it's kind of like understanding these pieces that because we're trying to do something insane with our body and expecting so much out of our body, like how does that change what we need to put in it? So let's go into that a little bit because, you know, obviously sports drinks like Gatorade being the the number one that everybody knows, right? A lot of that was formulated to mimic the sweat that you lose, which is including the sodium that you lose, right? Which is why if you take a look at a bottle of Gatorade, not like the light formulas that they have now, but the original Gatorade, there was so much sodium in that. And that's what it was for. It was like, hey, if you're working out for more than an hour, this is what you should probably replenish with. What's that What's that? Is it is it an hour where you say like anything less than an hour you're probably good with just water, and anything more than an hour you probably want to think about that. What's the what's the time frame there, and and why is that? Yeah, and that's I think that's a good baseline to go by, right? Like if you're exercising for an hour, um, you probably don't need anything other than water out there, mainly because you're going to get sodium in other places, right? Like you could still lose a decent amount, but it's probably not going to impact your performance or recovery because we're going to be eating something before and something after. Um, so that's typically what I tell people. 
The only caveat to that would be, you know, for somebody who's endurance training and is like back to back to back training sessions, you know, right. they might be digging a little too deep in the hole that water isn't enough. But yeah, for your, you know, typical athlete that's like an hour a day, we probably don't need, um, you know, Gatorade for something like that. Gotcha. Yeah. And how much does, do factors like heat, let's say, affect that? Is, is it kind of, because it's so funny because I think as trainers, we push back on the idea that like, Oh, if you're sweating, that means you're working hard, right? Because like you can go to a soul cycle class and sweat because it's an 85 degree room and you're doing nothing but cardio and you're not really, all due respect, getting like that great of a workout, right? Like it's a cardio workout. It is what it is. But like, you know, that doesn't mean like you did the hardest workout ever just because you sweat a lot. But when we're talking about the nutrition piece of it, like what external factors are good measurements? What external factors affect the need to change your intake the most? Weather's going to be the biggest thing, right? And especially mm. with endurance athletes, like you train through winter and then you run a hot marathon, you know, like those mm. things are shock to the system if we haven't had that two week like acclimation window to get used to performing in warmer weather. Um, but uh, I, probably the two biggest factors are one weather, but then also that person's sweat rate. So we all genetically have different sweat rates, different sweat compositions. I mean, you look around at the gym, you can tell who the heavy sweaters are, who's barely glistening, right? So they sparkle. it's a huge piece. I sparkle. I drip. <laughs> I'm a very heavy sweater. <laughs> so if, if you are someone who sweats more, more sodium intake is, is the play there? Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And even that's um, genetic as well. So I work with a company that we can test. Like you wear a little patch and you put it on your forearm and it actually collects your sweat. So not only do we know how much sweat you're losing, but we know how much sodium you're losing. And I have been blown away by some people's sweat compositions. And usually there's something that has tipped me off to the fact that like we need to look at this, like they've had heat stroke or had a heat illness. Obviously, that's a huge risk factor. But then other things like really bad GI issues once it hits summer or muscle cramping, you know, those are the types of things um, that usually I'm like, I think there's more to this that we need to be a little more precise, not just like, hey, take more salt, but, you know, really yeah. be more prescriptive by like the hour of training. And that's fascinating. So, so, so I actually have a couple of questions. So is that, is that also, does that relationship also go the other way, right? Like if, if your diet is a certain way, like if I'm not eating right, is that going to affect the way that I sweat or is the way that I sweat the way that I sweat no matter what? That's a good question. So our dietary intake will affect it a little bit, but truthfully, genetics are, the th- are like the big bang, right? It's going to play with it. Gotcha. And then, and then yeah. the, the follow-up question to that is you, you had mentioned muscle cramping, and that was something that I know I dealt with a lot when I was young. I would always get cramps in my calves. It didn't matter how many bananas I ate or the, uh, obviously the, the pickle juice that people thought was <laughs> the, the solution back in the day. Um, what's, what's your remedy for things like muscle cramps or if you're in the middle of a game and it's the fourth quarter and you're starting to cramp, is there anything that you can do at that point? So to your point, there's a million reasons why we could have right. muscle cramping. And a lot of it can just be fatigue, as you guys probably know better than me, you know, yeah. the misfires and, you know, nerves and all that good stuff. Um, but if that person is a heavy sweater, we see salt kind of caked on them, you know, we can assume that there probably is a big piece of this that has to do with hydration. So the one thing I like to do is like take a step back. So if that person's having cramping in the fourth quarter, rather than like trying to fix it once the cramp starts, which is really difficult, like take a step back and like before their game, load them up with a really high sodium drink or even the night before. There's some really good research that people who are heavy sweaters, that maybe they're wearing a bunch of like protective padding, you know, that's going to make them sweat more and then it's a hot day and they've had issues. If we actually 
drink, you know, somewhere around like 32 ounces of extra fluid, like around dinner time or after, and then add in a high sodium supplement anywhere from like 1,000 to 1,700 milligrams of sodium. We hang on to that. So we have this like buffer that we can burn through, sweat through, I guess I should say. And so we won't hit that threshold of dehydration that's triggering the cramps as early. So that would be like step one. But then step two is, to your point, like pickle juice and some other products out there like Hot Shot, it's supposed to like freak out your nerves because it's sour and spicy and all that stuff to like stop a cramp. So some people truly believe in in some of that. Um, but I would just look at it from more of like a preventative standpoint. So so you're telling me sodium load and not carbo load the night right. before? Right. <laughs> yep. That's interesting. So that, of course, gets into, I think, something that is a fascinating conversation of timing of nutrition. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there, there's kind of these extremely broad best practices that are out there. Um, and then, of course, you can get into a lot more detail. And, you know, as trainers, I think we tend to stay in the broad lane because that's our lane. Um, make sure you fuel up before and then put something in your body to replenish after. And that should probably be generally higher in protein and carbs. That's about as deep as I go on the nutrition advice to make sure that I'm where I'm supposed to be. But now we have you on the podcast. You're, you get to go a lot deeper. So when, when you start working with a new client and you start to give them some basics and advise them, and let's say I want to, I want to kind of do two different athletes here. Like let's start with an endurance athlete. But also, I think a lot of people that listen are like more on the strength profile side of it. And I'm curious how those two things are different. So for an endurance athlete, you meet them for the first time, you start to lay out a baseline of kind of some, some systemic level rules that you're going to give them. What does that system of fueling look like? So first, it's like, what are your goals? And hopefully their performance. Like I've built this platform on the importance of performance nutrition. So most people come to me with that, which is good. Um, mm -hmm. And then we look at like, what are you already doing? So we identify like some of the the pieces that might be missing. So for, for endurance athletes, a lot of it is fuel adequacy. So a lot of them are just not eating enough. They're not understanding what their body's burning and in turn taking in enough. And sometimes it's truly just a lack of education. People just don't realize how much nutrition they need. Sometimes it's more on the like eating disorder spectrum, right? But I would say it's probably 50-50 truthfully. Um, and then the other thing is timing. So nutrition timing is almost as important to me as adequacy truthfully, because if you think about it, like especially for endurance athletes, the amount of energy they're torching in some of these training sessions really right. digs a very deep hole you know, of energy expenditure. So what we're finding in the literature with women and men is that if we dig too far in that hole and we haven't like cushioned our nutrition around that event or taking something during it, um, it really wrecks havoc on our hormones and our recovery. So obviously if we're tanking our hormones, we're increasing our risk of injury and bone, you know, stress fractures and things like that, but then also delays that recovery, which in turn we can't train is hard, right? Because we're not, you guys know, we're right. not getting those gains from the recovery piece. So it's like, we're just slowly digging this hole. And I, I would say, honestly, probably 50% of endurance athletes are not nailing that yet. So that's a, that's a piece too, is like looking at when they're training and making sure that we're getting enough nutrition around it. Because a lot of times it's lopsided. Like if you look at the typical American diet, we eat a lot at night, but we don't always yeah. eat much during the day. And then right. we eat a lot at night. So we wake up and we're not hungry and it just repeats that cycle. So it's like really trying to flip that on its head. So I would say like adequacy and timing are probably the things I work the most with, with endurance athletes. The Train With The Best podcast is brought to you by Super Coffee and the new Tasty Pastry Collection. I've been telling you about it the last couple of weeks. I've been drinking it the past couple of weeks and it's still 
just a delight every single day. You get the variety pack, and then you get cinnamon bun, blueberry muffin, caramel waffle. Caramel waffle, caramel waffle. I don't know. Maybe that's the next great debate. Here's what's not up for debate. They're awesome. And it's so great because the varieties are so different. And of course, they've had great variety and flavors for a while has super coffee. They've had your vanillas, your mochas, your caramels, or your caramels. Uh, They've had so many different great flavors over the years. And obviously the seasonal flavors, your peppermint mochas during the winter, your uh, pumpkin spice varieties during the fall. But this new collection is just a new delight every single day. And maybe eventually I'll get accustomed to them. I don't want to say they're going to get old because they're too good to get old or they get old in the way that it's like old and delightful. Ah, hello, old friend. But for right now, I'm just enjoying it each and every day and knowing that I'm still getting the same nutritional value that I've gotten for, I don't know, our entire four, five year, whatever it is, partnership with Super Coffee. 10 grams of protein in each and every bottle, MCTs from coconut oil, and of course, zero sugar. So to get yours, go to drinksupercoffee.com, use the code train with the best, and you get 25% off your first order. That's train with the best or TWTB at drinksupercoffee.com. The Train with the Best podcast is brought to you by Jaku. And I was perusing old fitness Twitter the other day. Again, you can follow us on our new account at TWTB21. And I saw someone selling a, let's call it similar adjacent, a timing system. We'll, we'll call it that. It was a timing system that wasn't a Jaku. And they were trying to sell it gently used because they weren't happy with it for $400. And I got in their replies and I said, may we humbly suggest our friends at Jaku Speed. And I didn't have the chance to get into the reasons why in the tweet because it's a tweet and there's a very limited number of characters and I didn't want to seem like I was pushing something on them. I didn't want to see, seem super salesy. I didn't even actually give them the discount code that I'm going to give you because this is an advertisement in this here advertisement. But here's what you need to know. Again, they were selling this other timing system, which is a pretty popular one, for $400 used because they weren't happy with it. Well, you can get a brand new Jaku speed system that you're going to be happy with for half the price. And actually, with our discount code, less than half the price. That's all you need to know. It's the best timing system on the market, and it costs significantly less. It's the most cost-friendly, we'll call it, timing system on the market. It's the best, and it's the most cost-friendly. What are you waiting for? Jaku.com slash discount slash TWTB. It'll get you 20% off. Jaku.com slash discount slash TWTB. What about for strength athletes? How does that change? Yeah. So, you know, that's another thing too. Adequacy could easily be that one because as you guys know, you can't put on mass unless you're taking in enough fuel. So assessing like how much they're eating and is that enough for what we're doing? And yes, we need to be nailing protein needs, but most strength athletes know that, right? But maybe what they don't know is like we need the at like the amount of nutrition in the background. So where are we getting that? Like, is it carbs? Is it fat? Is it both? Like really just making sure that that's there, um, you know, from that standpoint. And then of course, the timing of that is ridiculously important as well. Um, but the strength athletes that I've worked with, I've mostly been like male collegiate athletes. And again, how, try, how do I get you to eat enough fuel 
to put on this mass and to get these performance gains when you're at school and you're in class all day and you have you're at the mercy of a dining hall, you know, so sometimes it's literally like the logistics of like, how are we going to get, you know, that amount of fuel into our body? Yeah, the adequacy of a dining hall, the, the volume is available. <laughs> The quality. The is, so uh, I remember. A I remember as a as a 150 pound dripping wet 17 year old <laughs> trying to play college football. My college coaches were just like they would just hand me ice cream like at any time of the day, like breakfast. Here, have some ice cream for breakfast. Have this and this. So that was terrible. I mean, but I was 17 years old and I could just eat whatever I wanted. And well, I, if you I weren't with Megan, she'd have been handing you bagels. That's yeah. Right. I can't believe we right. haven't mentioned any bagels yet, but we'll we'll get to the bagel the bagel right. kick. So then I, I, I learned a little bit, and, and I'm going to use you now, Megan, to kind of confirm or, or maybe debunk some of the stuff that I've learned. Is it still one gram of protein for every pound that I want away? Is that still like a good rule? Yeah, that's pretty close. I, you know, I my mind works in like kilograms because that's yeah. where the research is. So it's like is, 0.8 it's, kilograms per pound. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, a lot of the research, we used to say, you can't use more than two grams per kilogram of protein. But now we're like, no, you actually can, right? Yeah. So like <laughs> they're saying now like 2.2 grams per kilogram. So yeah, easily, you know, when you do that conversion, yeah. one gram of protein per pound of body weight is pretty is pretty realistic for a strength athlete. The only thing is sometimes like, if the strength athlete is 100 pounds over, I hate desirable body rate, right? I don't believe right. in it. But you know what I mean. Like if yeah, it's yeah. a very large athlete, like that yeah. might be too much protein. That's, yeah. But, you know, that's individualized. Yeah. And, then, and then what about like that macro ratio, right? So if we know I've got to get 150 grams of protein in and that's 600 calories, what's that ratio supposed to look like for uh, a, a collegiate athlete, we would say, right? Mm -hmm. Like a, a mm -hmm. football player, soccer player, basketball player. Mm -hmm. I'll try to put it more on the carb heavy because yeah. I mean, truthfully, they're still burning through a ton of carbohydrates and it's, it's the preferred, you know, fuel for our muscles and our brain. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. you know, if we're trying to stay mentally sharp for our sport and for school or work, you know, it's important that we're getting enough carbs. So typically, you know, a lot of times I do it all based on body weight. So I don't always do like the percentages, but like right. if I had to throw a percentage out there, I would say at least 50% carbs yeah. and then wherever the protein fits in there and then fill the rest out with fat is what gotcha. I always do. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. I, it's funny because the, on the carb side of it, I actually, that's where I tend to feel it personally the most is like when I'm, I just feel foggy and for lack of a better word, dumb. Uh, like I might have not had enough carbohydrates before this podcast, so excuse the inelegance. Uh, but I, I, I'm like, man, I, what did I eat today? Oh, I'm probably pretty short on carbs. And c can you speak to that a little bit further and explain why that is? Like, what, what is the connection between carbs and decision making? Nevertheless, all of the ability to perform muscularly, you know, etc. Yeah. So our body has different ways of using fuel and different fuel systems, right? Like we know if we don't eat carbs, we can run off of fat, right? We turn it into ketones and the same organs in our body that can accept carbs can accept ketones. So it's like, it's not like we can't, you know what I mean? But if we really look at like the efficiency with which an organ is going to run like a brain, perhaps, you know, if <laughs> it's, if we're giving it carbohydrates, it's going to run more quickly, just like our muscles are going to run more quickly if we give it carbohydrates. So you know, the thing with carbohydrates is, yes, we can store them in our liver and our muscles as glycogen. But if we're giving our body a steady source of carbohydrates, it means it's like trickling into our bloodstream a little easier so that we can pull that off of our blood to use in these organs, right? Like we can certainly break down glycogen stores to help maintain blood sugar. And that's what we do overnight. But, you know, if we're getting that constant source throughout the day, 
evenly, like to our earlier conversation, you know, that's where our brain is going to be able to utilize that more quickly and stay sharper rather than having to break something down to use it as energy or convert fat into ketones to use it for energy. It's just a much slower, you know, process there. Yeah. So I I take it from the conversation that we're having right now. You're not a very big fan of the intermittent fasting. I'm not at all. You know, I, my former life, I was in a hospital and I developed, um, educational programs, right? So people would come to me and be like, we want to educate somebody on this. So I scoured and made a phenomenal PowerPoint, if I do say so myself, on intermittent fasting. So there are there is some positive research on it for certain populations like type 2 diabetes or sedentary people that are trying to lose weight, specifically men. A lot of the good research is in men. But when you look at translating that into an athlete, I mean, right. I'm going to be blunt. Like, I think it's the dumbest thing you could do. Yeah. You know, like you're not supporting your body at the times it needs supported. You're going way too long without energy, which means you're dipping into your stores. It, it just recovery is impacted. Hormonal function is impacted. Um, it just would. Yeah. And yeah, not my favorite. Yeah. Especially not <laughs> yeah. for athletes. Yeah. I get it. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Getting fuel, you mentioned earlier, um, going back to the timing element, you know, we tend to, in the American lifestyle, pack food at the end of the day. We don't necessarily eat a ton in the morning. Um, And again, that can be super lifestyle impactful if you're just like, I'm going to get up as late as possible and get out the door. And like, you know, you have kids, like you're just trying to get them to school. And although you're up at like four in the morning every day, like I get emails. I mean, when we were booking this podcast, I'm like checking the timestamp on the emails. Like, why did she email me at four 30 in the morning? What uh, Megan? Drinking my it, coffee. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's fine. Um, get she's getting her door. fuel, getting, getting her fuel in at four 30 in the morning. Grams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if you're someone who say, doesn't like to eat before they work out and but you do like to work out in the morning like how do you work with with a client like that because you know bluntly like a lot of my clients train in the morning and and finding that balance of both time not feeling too full when they get to the gym all that kind of stuff can be challenging on on a lifestyle side of it and i certainly don't want them puking in my session so how do do you how do you approach and and i would assume too for for like your races and stuff i mean a lot of that stuff you have to get up really early in the morning get to go check in get to the start line so how do you approach early workouts um, and, and the fuel that is necessary for those? Yeah. I always try to get people to think about what food sits really well in their stomach and they digest really easily, right? Like I would never eat a banana or oats before I ran out the door 10 minutes after eating and drinking coffee because that just doesn't sit well in my stomach. It does for a lot of people. For me, graham crackers, like I don't even realize I've eaten. So I eat one graham cracker some days. I eat six some days depending on the work ahead. You know what I mean? So like I always try to chat when somebody's like, I can't eat. I'm like, but we can if we find the right thing, right? Like if we can find the right it takes no thought. You grab a graham cracker and eat it as you're tying your shoes and are, or, or driving to your you know lifting session, that kind of stuff. Because the truth is, is if we have even a tiny bit of fuel in our system before we start working out, our system's like, oh, I'm good. I got some fuel. I can do this workout. Whereas if we don't have any fuel, our body's like, oh my gosh, I don't have the fuel. You're asking me to do all this. And it kind of freaks out and heightens that like stress response, which we don't want, you know, post-workout. Um, so I typically try to get people to eat something, like start small and see how it works. But if someone's like, it's never going to happen, right? We can either have like a snack right before bed, which can be beneficial. And if that doesn't happen, it's just makes that recovery nutrition timing that much more imperative. Like, okay, you're not going to eat beforehand, but where is your smoothie, your shake, your granola bar, whatever, 
that we're eating literally as we're leaving the workout so that, you know, we can try to calm down that stress response as soon as possible. For sure. And that, that's actually what I wanted to ask next on the, on the back end of that, literally on the back end of the workout, because there's, you know, for a long time, like places like Exos would say, hey, it, protein within two hours of working out within 30 minutes is ideal. Then you have this other group on kind of the other end of the spectrum that's like, nah, it doesn't really matter. Timing that doesn't matter. It's about your weekly protein intake. And you're like, well, that seems that seems very extreme on the the broad end of yeah. things. So, where mm-hmm. are you? I'm, I know where you sit because I know that you're a proponent of the shower shake. But what <laughs> from a research standpoint, where where are we on post workout nutrition, post workout protein? What's good? What's bad? And when should we take it? Yeah. So, truthfully, the macronutrient that, in my opinion, is the most important for timing is protein. So we can store carbohydrates, we can store fat. We can't actually store protein in our body, hmm. right? Like there's a little bit of like free amino acids floating around, but like we're, we don't have a storage form. It's in our muscles. So if our body is trying to recover from a hard workout and we're not giving it that protein, it's going to break something down in our body to get that protein to recover the other area, which is just totally counterintuitive to what we're trying to accomplish here. So um, – and there's a phenomenal research to support this as well, that we need like a certain amount of protein to trigger that muscle protein synthesis post-workout um, and that we want to try to trigger it at least three times a day. And if we're trying to put on muscle mass, we want to do it four times a day. So have like a fourth meal of protein before bed, mm-hmm. you know, and try to separate them by like ideally three hours. Obviously, if you're doing four, it might need to be closer. So, you know, truthfully, I think there's nothing more important from a nutrition standpoint with timing than protein. Um just because we can't store it and we need a certain amount to trigger that, you know, recovery is basically what muscle protein synthesis is. So, so with that in mind, is there a certain amount of protein that we can digest or absorb in per per sitting, right? Like, so like Mm -hmm. I always tell my clients that, Hey, if, if 150 grams of protein is the goal for the day, you can't just get that all in one sitting. You're not going to absorb mm-hmm. it. How much? How much can we absorb in one sitting? So if I if I'm trying to take in 150 grams of protein, how many times do I need to do that? And is three enough, or do I need to do that five times a day at, at 30 grams per sitting? Or mm-hmm. what's the formula mm-hmm. there? No, that's this is a really good conversation that I think a lot of people probably need to hear. Um, so we can absorb and utilize protein, but like it's worthless after a certain point. So like when you look at graphs of when they trigger muscle protein synthesis, like it stops after like 40 grams of protein for most people. So it's like you could eat more. Your body just isn't going to use it for what you think it's being used for. It's being used for energy. It's converted into something else. So protein is the most expensive part of our cart each week, right? Like it's, <laughs> protein is very expensive these days, even protein powders, things like that. So it's like, why take in more than we need, right? Yeah. Let's figure out like how much we need. So to your point, a lot of it is based on body weight. So it's like 0.4 to 0.55 grams per kilogram per meal is what the research says, which that means nothing to anyone I know. For most people, like <laughs> if it was a small female runner, right, that would be like 20 to 25 grams. But for a lot of my larger males, like some of my triathletes that are, you know, 210 pounds, this is like 40 grams of protein, you know, at a meal. So anywhere between that, like 20 and 40 is where most people will sit per meal, um, which for some people is like totally shocking and eye-opening and oh my gosh, I don't get that in the morning. And then for some people, it's like, no, I got that already. Um, you know, so to your point, like it could be spread out into like three or maybe four occasions yeah. and then you're going to get some protein at snacks, but that's more for right. like a satiety, keeping you feeling full. It's not necessarily for like muscle recovery. 
Gotcha. Um, the way we originally got connected to Megan is because she's also a momentous athlete. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it feels appropriate now that you just mentioned the protein powders and such to ask you about supplementation. Uh, so how do you use supplementation and, and what things beyond just protein uh, what do you take, do you recommend, uh, and why are they so important? So I think for a lot of people, it is hard to get protein at breakfast. That's something that I have found is like resounding among a lot of the athletes that I work with. Most people get enough at lunch and dinner, but breakfast just seems to be a real struggle, especially for people who work out in the morning. It's just even more important. Um, So using something like a protein powder in the morning can be super helpful, especially when we're talking about meeting these needs. Like So this morning I made like a sandwich that had eggs on it and I'm like calculating in my head like how many eggs do I need to get my 25 to 30 grams of protein? I'm like, what is it? Like this is a lot of (laughs) eggs, right? And I'm like, I some some days I'm like, A, I don't feel like cooking that many eggs and B, that's a lot of eggs to eat. (laughs) You know, like my egg sandwiches are like the size of my face. Um, So sometimes it's just really easy to slug back, you know, I love momentous vanilla whey protein. I just mix it with water and drink it like it's my beverage with my toast or my waffles with the carbohydrate. Um, so I think it's really helpful to have that option for a lot of people. And I actually had a conversation with somebody yesterday and they were like, well, isn't that like fake food? I like to eat real food. I'm like, it's as fake as a thing of tofu, right? Yeah. They're taking soy <laughs> and turning it into a brick. They're taking milk and turning it into a powder. I'm like, it's not yeah. fake, you know, it's, right. especially if you're getting a good one, like a good quality protein. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Supplementa- supplementation works. And that's the point. Like supplementation mm-hmm. is, is a way to like get the calories that you need without like, like, like if you can afford to eat four meals a day of real good food, then cool. Good for you. But for a lot of us who are exactly. on the run, right? Like if we just need to, we have five minutes for breakfast. How am I going to get my 30 grams of protein right now in the next five minutes? You know, you got to do the supplement. Right. It's hard. Yeah. yeah, which is why yeah. like we love the collagen shot and some of the other things that they've come out with, which just makes a lot of the additional supplementation beyond protein a lot simpler. The Train With The Best podcast is brought to you by Momentus. And yeah, we did just talk about a bunch of Momentus products and supplementation. And yeah, that does feel like a really good time to tell you you can go to livemomentus.com, use the code TRAINWITHTHEBEST25 and get 25% off your first subscription order, whether that's protein, whether that's collagen, whether that's creatine, whether that's any of the new Huberman Lab adjacent products. Uh, But it's also just kind of where we are in the podcast. It's time for the second ad break, and it is so convenient, just like the collagen shot. So convenient. All right, I'm I'm done with the bit. Here's the deal. Momentus makes the best supplements on the market. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about protein. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about collagen. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about vitamin supplementation. They've done the research and partnered with other folks who do additional research to put in the work to find out how to not only create the best and most sustainable products, but also the ones that will actually absorb into your body and not just be, we'll be elegant about it, wasted. So go to livemomentus.com. Use the code TRAINWITHTHEBEST25 and make sure that you are getting all the nutrients, macro and micro, that you need so that you can recover your best and then perform at your best. Haven't said this in a while, but it's still true. Look, if you're going to train with the best, you got to recover with the best, and that's why we choose Momentus. The Train With The Best podcast is brought to you by Blaze Pod, and I feel like this ad just turns into like a Blaze Pod exercise of the week kind of thing, which is a great way to use the ad. We're here to educate you. We're here to provide you with stuff, not just discount codes and written copy. No, no, no. I do these ads fresh off the top of the dome every single week, and this week, what I did with Blaze Pods 
was use them a lot in my core work. I had my clients get in planks and then they would have to tap the light as it lit up. Uh, so, there was even a duo, a pair that works out together that I had where they were facing each other on the same three lights and one had to touch the red light and one had to touch the blue light. So they had a fun little competition going back and forth who could hit their light first. Obviously, if they messed up and they, they hit each other, they'd be hitting hands, safety first and all, but like they're in a plank. They're playing patty cake. It wasn't like they were gonna knock each other over. So if you wanna go have fun like this, spice up, and, and what it did, by the way, is it gamified everything. So they're out there in a plank and they're not thinking about their core. It's just in good position. They're thinking about their lights. And next thing you know, they get up and I'm like, hey, how's your, how's your core feel? And they're like, oh yeah, I guess... I guess it did work. So here's what you do. You go to blazepod.com. Use the code TWTB as in train with the best. TWTB. You get 15% off the best cognitive training system on the market. Blazepod.com. Use the code TWTB. Last question I have is about nighttime nutrition um, and kind of the talking about the timing and the rhythm um, relative to sleep, uh, because I, I've heard some people that are like, Hey, you should do, you know, some protein before you go to bed. Um, if depending on, you know, especially if you're trying to gain weight, other people will say, if you don't stop eating before or after like six o'clock or eight o'clock or whatever it is, then you're just messing with your sleep. Um, which on some level makes sense because then your body's digesting and not doing the things it would otherwise do at night. Where do you fall on that spectrum? How goal related is it? Or are there certain things that, kind of rise above anybody's particular goals because they are sleep and thus recovery oriented. Yeah. And I mean, no, I'm sure you're not surprised to hear me say it's very personalized and, mm. and each person's goal, you know, what makes sense about before bedtime. Um, I do not agree at all with like, you have to stop eating at seven or it turns to fat. You know, I think that's all a bunch of junk, especially for somebody that has to eat dinner at 730 every night. Like yeah. maybe they're running. From, Chris eats at know. like nine sometimes. So, you know, listen, we're going to, we're going to, I've you're got okay. big questions about the Filipino diet in a, in a question in, in, in a second. But I'm going to let you finish this one. Go ahead. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, yeah. So, I mean, a lot of it's going to depend on that. But the one thing that they find is when we're eating at night, we're exhausted, we're tired, our willpower's out the window because we've used it all up all day, we're stressed. So, we tend to not make the most sound nutrition choices when we're eating at night, and we tend to eat too much, right? We don't pay attention to how much. So, to me, it's not necessarily a time thing, like don't eat here or there, but it's more so like, a behavior type thing, like the things we're eating at night, the cues we're forgetting to listen to um, is what is most important to me. But to your point with sleep, I think it also depends on like quantity, right? And what we're eating. So, and, you know, each person. So I do have some people that are like, I can't eat close to dinner. I can't run close to, or eat close to bedtime. I can't run close to bedtime because it interrupts my sleep. And then I have other people that are like, I can't sleep unless there's food in my stomach. Like mm -hmm. I sleep better if I go to bed after having a snack. So I think it kind of just depends. It's trial and error, like with, you know, everything in life and nutrition um, from that standpoint. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, so for me, look, I grew up eating dinner at like nine o'clock, nine thirty. And I also grew up with every meal had to have rice. So for all my people who are out there, all my Filipino people out there, all my Asian people who are out there, you know that like we ate rice for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner. Like it wasn't a meal unless we had rice, right? And, and that was my like answer to everything. Oh, you want to get stronger? Eat more rice. Oh, you want to get faster? Eat more rice. Like that was what my uncles told me. And that's what I, that was my nutrition tip for like 18 years of my life. 
right? You know, I might <laughs> steal that tip. Like that's still pretty applicable, <laughs> like to everything oh, no. we've talked about. I don't know. I mean, think so, about it. Like more carbs, more. Yeah. <laughs> All Chris right, was so like, finally, I can tell my uncles off, and instead, you're confirming what they said. No, you <laughs> just, yeah, <laughs> you just gave all my uncles more fuel because they don't listen to me. They're going to be like, whatever, Toffee, you don't know what you're talking about, right? <laughs> but now, then my whole goal was to get Megan to say, hey, maybe you should eat so much rice, and now that just backfired. No. So we need more rice to get faster. I agree with that. But to get stronger, no, you would have to eat like 20 pounds of rice to like meet your protein needs. Let, not, Megan, not let me tell you something. Much, but... Let me tell you something about <laughs> Filipino families. We have 20 pounds of rice just sitting in the house ready to eat at all times. We have like three rice cookers that are just all types of rice, right? White rice, brown rice, sushi rice. We just, we just eat rice. Craig knows. Well, yeah. Question, how I long hope... does it take you to go through a 20 pound bag of rice? He's I got mean, four we go kids, to Costco like a week, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was we thinking. Go, a week. <laughs> yeah, like I, I think like every Monday, my wife is like, "Hey, can you go get some more rice?" So I love it. The biggest it's, bag it's of rice I've ever seen. Thing. I helped lift at the Gorez household. <laughs> mm-hmm. Costco, so. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, But okay, uh, so but it's a it's a good snack. Like right, we so to put about. on mass to run faster. Yeah, I mean, I think more rice, but. You know, to get stronger, like you like put some protein with your rice. You can tell gotcha. your uncles gotcha. that. Yeah. So, so right. spam and rice. Got it. <laughs> yeah. oh, God. <laughs> this I don't is think that was, this is what I grew up. <laughs> no, we got we all have right. better I, proteins than spam now. But good, good, excellent. Uh, all right, I got two two questions to wrap up uh, fully. One kind of silly. One uh, just kind of a, a nice ethos to leave with. Uh, first, when did your bagel obsession? When and how did your bagel obsession start? I want the bagel story. So I started working with runners probably five years ago. And what I was starting to realize was no one was carb loading. And there is just such phenomenal science behind how helpful a carb load is before anything over two hours. And no one was doing it. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. So I started trying to get my athletes to do it. And they just weren't doing it. So I was like, all right, I'm going to show people how to do this. So it was my first attempt at a sub three marathon. I had had a hip injury at the beginning of it. So I only had like a solid eight week build. I was nervous as hell. Like, how am I going to do this? I hadn't run a marathon in two years. So like I felt rusty. I felt like I was totally over my skis with this pace. So I was nervous. And we were, it was an indie. So it was a five hour drive. And it was a Saturday race. So we were driving out Friday, like the most important day of a carb load. And I was like, all right, Megan, like you're nervous. That means you're going to forget to eat enough. You're going to forget to drink enough, right? Which is often happens. So I was like, all right, how can I get 400 grams of carbs really easily? All right, bagels have 50 grams. I'm eating eight bagels. There, I'll eat eight bagels on the drive-in. So I literally packed my bagels. I put peanut butter between some of them. I put like a slice of cheese between the other ones. And I legitimately ate eight bagels. Actually, I had seven and some other food on Friday. And then I had one before the race on Saturday. Um, because it was so stupid easy to make sure I got enough, right? Because I, I knew myself and I knew like I was not going to get enough unless I made it really easy. Um, and race nerves also piss off people's GI tracts. And I knew bagels sat really well in my stomach. So I was like, I'm not even going anywhere for food. I'm eating my bagels. And I casually said this on like a podcast after the race. And the guy was like, you're kidding me. And then it just like went viral from there. Like everybody was like, we got to eat bagels to carb load. And I mean, we had a bagel run in Boston for it. And I mean, it's just bagels are now synonymous with carb loading, I guess. That's awesome. So 400 Um, grams, 400 grams of carbs was the, was the goal for you there? The goal was 450, but I had like some scratch I was drinking that had sugar and yeah. 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 
Yeah. And then yeah. last but not least, I feel like most people who are a lot of our audience in our podcast are performance coaches, trainers, etc. What's advice that you would give to them? I'm just going to kind of leave it there, whether it's, you know, how to stay in their lane, advice they should pass on to their clients. Like what's the most common conversation that you have with people in our position and, and what do you want us to know? I think it's really important to be sensitive around fueling, right? Like almost have some kid gloves on because you just don't know where that person is coming from, male or female, right? We can't even say that like the only people with disordered eating histories are females. Like it's it's rampant across the board, especially for all athletes, especially aesthetic athletes. So it's just being very cautious with your language that you're very supportive from a nutrition standpoint. You know, we're not talking about things that are bad, right? We're not labeling foods good as bad. We're not, you know, criticizing what people are eating or choosing to eat, you know, just being very, you know, choosy with how we're approaching things. And then also being aware of your athletes and understanding like where's their performance normally so that when you see a dramatic drop in that, when you see a big body composition change, that you are aware that, wow, maybe this person needs like some additional help from a nutrition standpoint, whether, like we said, if it's intentional or not, it's just making sure that you have some good resources because, you know, like Craig said, it's totally fine for you guys to be like, hey, are you eating before? Hey, are you eating after? Hey, is there protein in there? You know, but if we need something a little deeper than that, something more personalized, something more specific to say hydration, right? Mm. If you see a salty, crusty sweater that's cramping in the fourth quarter, you know, like having the intuition to notice these things that are impacting performance and then having, you know, some sort of resource to, to, you know, connect them with. No doubt about it. Uh, if you want more from Megan, featherstonenutrition.com, you can see the, uh, the, or the, I guess the after marathon (laughs) picture before she started learning about all this stuff. Uh, as well as a lot more information. Uh, and then what's your, your Instagram handle for people to follow as well? It's Featherstone Nutrition as well. All yeah. right. So you can follow Megan there. I ha- literally have another hour's worth of questions I want to ask you. Uh, and you and I have been talking on and off for like six months at this point. Uh, so we'll have to have you back again sooner rather again, than later. Again, again, yeah. Uh, thanks so much for coming I have on, so, I have so many more questions about rice. I, I... <laughs> We're going to dedicate an episode we'll, to rice. We'll, we'll do part two and part three. We'll decide which one's the rice episode. Uh, Megan, thanks so much for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys.